The show is brought to you by our generous patrons at patreon.com slash falloutlorecast. Robots Radio presents The Fallout Lorecast. Welcome to the Fallout Lorecast, a place for the Fallout community to come together to explore the boundaries of our knowledge about the world of Fallout. Welcome, Vault Dwellers and Wastelanders. This is your host, Tom or Robots, and welcome back to the Fallout Lorecast. A few weeks ago, we went over uh, Fallout 1 and noted some of the original aspects of the game and the initial storyline and the things that happen. And that episode went really well. A lot of you guys downloaded that one specifically, uh, which shows me that newer people who are finding this uh, podcast are actually scanning through the different topics and choosing some of those topics to start with. So I thought this would be a great week to dive into the story and details of Fallout 2. And Fallout 2 is in many ways an evolution of Fallout 1. And that makes sense, right? Like a lot of times you think it's almost almost doesn't need to be said, but with video games, you can't always tell. Sometimes the second iteration of the game is a departure from the first and is very different. Um, <clears throat> uh, Super Mario Brothers 2. Um, but sometimes it's a refinement and a continuation of the things established in the first game. And Fallout 2 is very much like that. So first, let's let's dive into details about the story and then we're going to go into more about the actual gameplay mechanics and some of the things that were expanded on in there. Now doing some research for this, I found that the most concise and yet still detailed explanation I found was actually from the giant bomb website. And a lot of you, I'm sure a lot of you guys are very familiar with giantbomb.com. Go check it out. There's information there about all sorts of different games. They've got their own wiki and people contribute to this stuff a lot. It's a very active community, of course. So, I mean, obviously, if you're listening to podcasts, you probably have listened to the Giant Bomb podcast. So, yeah, uh, great guys. Lots of cool info on there. So let's dive into the story of Fallout 2. Now, Fallout 2 begins in 2241. It has been decades since the first game. And this game actually follows the descendants of the original Vault Dweller. You were called the Vault Dweller in the first game. And then, if you recall, the canon ending is that you were exiled from Vault 13. You're now in a town called Arroyo, and you are... A descendant of this original vault dweller and Arroyo has just suffered the worst drought in recent memory in order to prove that you he or she whatever character you built is indeed quote the chosen one the direct descendant of the vault dweller the player must complete the temple of trials once they have completed this tutorial, this is like the tutorial section of the game, the player is tasked with finding the Gek, the Garden of Eden creation kit, which you may be familiar with from references in the other games, in order to save their village from starvation. The player embarks on his journey wearing the Vault Dweller's jumpsuit and a Pip-Boy 2000, 
and a Vault 13 flask, which has got to be decades old now and originally comes from the Vault. Along their journey, they discover certain cities and towns, characters and establishments like Klamath in South Oregon and Broken Hills, which is inhabited by humans, ghouls and mutants. And also, this is where we first run into the new California Republic as such, specifically as defined as the NCR. Other places you come across include New Reno, Vault City, San Francisco, and Vaults 15 and 13, which were both in the original Fallout. Now, the player eventually finds Vault 13 again, the previous home of your ancestor, the Vault Dweller, and the place where they find the Gek. So there was still a Gek located in Vault 13. Now, much has changed in Vault 13 since the end of Fallout. The Vault was opened by the Enclave, and most of its inhabitants were captured. The Vault is now occupied by a group of intelligent Deathclaws, and we talked about this in the Deathclaw episode, who escaped from the Enclave when tests were being run on them. So this is very much a continuation of the first story. It's just been a number of decades. And the story is actually pretty simple. So the player finds Vault 13. They find the Gek. When they return to Arroyo with the Gek, they discover that the villagers have been kidnapped by the Enclave. So more trouble is brewing. The Enclave is still doing bad stuff. And the player must travel to the Enclave base. It's an oil rig off the coast of San Francisco. And this, again, has been mentioned in our Enclave episode. Now, they do this by restoring an old oil tanker. Once the player arrives at the oil rig, most of the revelations regarding the story are told. The Enclave is the continuation of the pre-war U.S. government with President, and again, I mentioned this before, this is my favorite name in the whole series, Dick Richardson. That's like somebody named him Richard Richardson at the helm. It is also revealed that the vaults were used as an experiment. Each vault had certain conditions applied to them and were used solely as a means to judge how effectively the inhabitants would cope with life after the war. So this is where it becomes very clear that the vaults themselves were experiments. The plan was for the government to wait out the war on the oil rig, then take the inhabitants of the vaults to another planet. This plan went awry when their spaceship was destroyed. Their only solution was to populate the continental United States. When they discovered traces of mutants and ghouls, the Enclave was forced into action. They developed a lethal toxin that would purge the wasteland of all those deemed unpure or mutated. Once the Chosen One discovers this plan, he or she frees the Arroyo villagers and the Vault 13 inhabitants and destroys the base. At the end of Fallout 2, the survivors of Arroyo and Vault 13 use the Gek to create new Arroyo. The player is also shown the consequences of their actions. What characters died, which towns flourished, and so on. So the breadth of the main story in this is not that complex. You figure out who you are, you travel to Vault 13, you find the Gek, you return home, you realize that the Enclave is doing terrible stuff, has kidnapped everybody, you find your way onto the oil rig, you blow it up, you free everyone, yay, end of story, right? That's, that's the main plot line. But 
just like Fallout 1, Fallout 2 has a lot of role play aspects. And in fact, more than the original Fallout, the a lot of the systems are the same. You still have uh, special, which was created in Fallout 1 and carries through to all the other Fallouts. You still have skills. Uh, skills in this game are ranked from 0% to 300%, depending on the um, the stats that you have in your special. Skills still included things like um, the six combat skills of small guns, big guns, energy weapons, unarmed, melee weapons, throwing weapons. There were eight active skills, including first aid, doctor, sneak, lockpick, steel, traps, science and repair. So all of that sounds very familiar because a lot of that stuff was all just carried forward. Four passive skills, including speech, barter, gambling, and outdoorsman. Plus there's books in the game, which you can come across and will upgrade your skills. So it's a lot of this foundational stuff, as I mentioned in the Fallout 1 episode, carries through. Uh, a lot of this stuff was in the game from its inception. And these are the games that Bethesda was looking at when they got the rights to do Fallout 3 and carry this stuff forward. It also makes sense that Fallout New Vegas was very much a continuation of Fallout 1 and Fallout 2 existing in that part of the world with the NCR. I'm sure it was very exciting for any of the developers who were fans or had gotten the opportunity to work on these first two games to get to carry that forward a decade later. And so this game was was released in 1998, uh, September 30th, 1998. And by all intents and purposes was very popular. It was actually one of the top RPG games of that time. And once Black Isle Studios kind of disappeared. It was generally thought that the Fallout series was not really going to carry forward. Interplay wasn't really the th a thing anymore. Black Isle Studios, not really a thing. And Bethesda picked up the rights to this and got to carry it forward. And there was a lot of skepticism back at that time if they, uh, of if they were going to be able to do this right. The idea that this was no longer going to be an isometric game in Fallout 3, that it was going to be first person. People were just like, no, that just doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right. But so much of what they carried forward really works. It, it really is the same systems just expanded on. So the other systems that also carried forward include using tools and lock picks to open up locks. There was a, a lock picking mechanic in this game and also the traits and perks. And in the fandom.com uh, wiki, it explains that at character creation, the player may choose two optional traits. Traits are special character attributes such as skilled, which drastically increases the player's skills, but adds an extra level before the player may choose each perk. Or jinxed, enemies have a greater chance of critical attack failures, but so does the player. A trait normally contains one beneficial effect and one detrimental effect. Sound familiar? And are listed below the perks section in the character sheet. Once a trait is chosen, it is impossible to change, except by using the mutate perk, which allows the player to change one trait, but only once. Perks are special elements of the leveling system. Every three levels or every four, if the player chooses the skilled trait, the player is granted a perk of their choosing. Perks grant special effects, most of which are not obtainable 
via normal play in the game, such as letting the player take more actions per round. Unlike traits, most perks are purely beneficial. They are usually offset only by the infrequency of acquiring them. So these systems all carried over from the first Fallout in pretty much the same ways. Maybe maybe they were expanded on and refined a little bit, but they are basically the same. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't other things going on in Fallout 2 that didn't go on in Fallout 1. So the article continues to explain that there are changes from Fallout 1. Fallout 2 features a much wider array of items, weapons, and armor than Fallout. Most of the items from Fallout returned, but had alternate and upgraded forms. So this is the first time that you see things like not just a minigun, but there are miniguns, and then there is now the Avenger or the Vindicator minigun that have special qualities. Item prices were also increased at stores, making scavenging for items more important. It was it was more important that you actually pick everything up and make use of all the items you pick up than in the first game. In addition to old upgraded weapons, several new weapons were introduced for all branches of combat, thus making no combat skill the best and allowing the player to be powerful with any weapon. So there wasn't just this main line of weapons to energy weapons, and then that's where you wanted to go. You could go any direction you want and build out your character accordingly. The range of enemies was also increased to a wider diversity. The end result is a much more complex combat environment. I think I just said complex. (laughs) Complex combat environment. Uh, Skills start off at a lower rate than in the first game, and the various skills are also more important. Previously, skills like unarmed, doctor, and traps were used sparingly, but now all skills are useful to a degree. So they kind of leveled the playing field on that, making sure that no matter what you picked, you were going to get some use out of it. The maximum level of a skill was increased from 200% to 300%. Another notable change is that a skill after reaching 100% requires more than one skill point to increase. Up to six skill points per 1% and 2% if the skill is tagged. Increase after 200%. The unarmed skill in particular was made much more sophisticated by adding different types of punches and kicks depending on the player's attributes and skill level. Several new perks were added while most others were retained, allowing a greater degree of customization. Again, you could build out your character much more in a way that you wanted to rather than in whatever the optimal path the game was telling you to be. The friendly foe perk in Fallout is now a default feature in Fallout 2. So what does that mean? That means that from this point on, anybody who's friendly is highlighted green instead of red, which saves you from being confused about if something's a target you should be attacking or not. Uh, That's probably the number one upgrade in this game, to be honest. So in the original Fallout, we had Karma. This is the first game in the series where you not only have karma, but you have reputation, which is different, right? Reputation has to do with your relationship to factions. Karma has to do with your reputation as a whole. And this was probably something that came to greatest use in Fallout New Vegas. Um, In future games like Fallout 4, I believe 
the the reputation for factions is kept, but karma is basically removed. By Fallout 4, you could do things that meant that you were generally better or worse, but they really didn't have a huge bearing on your situation in the world, whereas it was way more dependent on how you treated a faction and how they respond to you. And by Fallout 4, that was mostly having to do with the way that you went about making story decisions and less about what you actually did out in the world in reaction to different people. So one of the other big differences here is that the recruitable non-player characters were very simple in the first game. And uh, the only control the player had over them was to designate a specific weapon for the non-player character to use and how far away they should stand. In Fallout 2, team non-play character control became much more sophisticated with non-player characters being able to gain levels, equip armor, and be issued orders before and during combat. So this truly became, if you had characters with you, which was probably a good idea, this truly became a tactical game where you were able to control not just your character, but the other characters in your party. Non-player characters also possessed distinct personalities and characteristics, similar previous games. The recruiting process had also been made more complex, with some non-player characters refusing to join the player if he has negative or he or she has negative karma, or before a certain quest had been completed. So now characters responded based on what you were doing in the world. Finally, there is a limit to the number of non-player characters a player can recruit depending on the character's charisma, as well as a larger number to recruit, meaning that there were over a dozen different characters that you could meet in the wasteland and potentially recruit to your cause. And again, this is another one of those foundational things in Fallout 2 that we see carry forward into the other Fallout games, the other main Fallout games. Fallout 76 is different. There aren't really characters that can follow you around. In the original Fallout, subquests in towns and cities were usually solved within that city, with only a few subquests requiring the player to travel. The cities, fairly isolated except for the caravans, were concerned with their own problems. In Fallout 2, however, the cities have a great deal of contact with each other, and with the sole exception of Klamath, actions in one city will affect the state of another, and sub quests will often require the player to go back and forth from location to location to kill enemies and deliver messages and items. So again, the complexity of this world is much, much more um, connected. Everything you do has much more of a connection to everything else. The game's overall subject matter was generally more mature with drugs and prostitution becoming major elements of the setting. In fact, this is the first game that introduces the drug Jet and the problems that the Wasteland is having with use of that drug. The use of strong language remains uncensored and an optional dialogue filter is available. During the course of the game, players can join the Mafia, become a porn star, get married and subsequently divorced, and prostitution is a strong recurring theme. So much darker. Slavery also becomes an important subplot, and players can either side with the slavers or join their opponents, such as the New California Rangers, who try to stamp slavery out. Non-player characters can be bought and sold as slaves during the course of the game. So way darker, your 
uh, negative karma choices go much deeper. <laughs> in fact, you can buy and sell slaves. I don't remember that being a thing in the other games. Maybe there's some little subplot or something somewhere in one of them, but it's definitely not a main feature. Speed running, and this is interesting, is much more difficult than Fallout. In Fallout, players could go straight to the military base, destroy it, then travel to the cathedral and do the same. In Fallout 2, the final areas cannot be accessed until a computer part from Vault 13 is found. And Vault 13, in turn, cannot be found until one of two quests have been completed. Thus, requiring a great deal of fighting that requires a high-level character to survive. So everything's kind of level-gated in a way. Now, there is a note here that it's possible to bypass Vault 13 and the computer part quest with a stupid character by using chems to lower intelligence temporarily. Also, while the player can uh, recruit allies for the final encounter, there's no way to complete no way to completely avoid the final boss battle in Fallout 2. Again, encouraging combat and making a speedrun difficult. In spite of these factors, the game was completed in, get this, 17 minutes and 51 seconds on a video posted on the Speed Demos archive website. And I don't know if 100% if that's still the record, but that's still quick, 17 minutes. Uh, and I'm saying this in light of Summer Games Done Quick is on right now. I actually have it up in the background. It's no sound, so it doesn't leak into this episode. But if you guys aren't watching Summer Games Done Quick on Twitch, um, awesome awesome show wonderful uh, they, they're not paying me to advertise right now but i love watching the games done quick series and have donated to the causes that they support in the past including doctors without borders which is a great great cause to support so let's get back to fallout stuff so i mentioned that the companion characters that you can come across are much more varied and there's more of them and going back to the giant bomb article somebody's done a, a really nice job here listing out all the different characters that you can get to follow you around. And some of them are so quirky. So check this out. We're just going to go through the list. Vic is a traveling salesman who joins the player if rescued from the hands of slavers based in the den. Although he isn't particularly handy in combat, he excels at repair. Then there's Sulik, the tribal warrior found in Klemeth, Skilled with melee weapons, if the player paid his debt or rescued Smiley the Trapper from the toxic caves, he could join the team. Then there's Cassidy, the bartender from outskirts of Vault City, very good for using shotguns. If the player convinced him to lead an adventurous life, he would join. His name is one of many Easter eggs in Fallout 2, as he sometimes states that the father named him after a comic book character an allusion to Cassidy from the Preacher series. Lenny is an old ghoul from Gecko who met the protagonist's ancestor, the legendary Vault Dweller. He can use pistols, rifles, and specializes in the doctor skill. Myron, a young foul-mouthed genius and the inventor of the drug Jet. So this guy is the cause of the drug problem in the wasteland right now, specifically around Jet. He can be found in the lower level of the drug laboratory just outside of New Reno. Although he is weak in combat, he can help the player by making stim packs and other medicines. Then there's Marcus, an old super mutant and the sheriff of Broken Hills. 
Marcus can join the party after some racial problems in his city are resolved. He can be a great help in battle with his ability to use big guns and energy weapons. Goris is an intelligent Deathclaw scholar living in Vault 13, the best melee fighter in the game and cannot wear armor or use weapons. So there is a way to get a Deathclaw buddy to follow you around, which is super cool. Then there's Skynet. Yes, Skynet. An obvious allusion to the Terminator series. Skynet is a supercomputer transferred into a robot body. Its skills are dependent on the brain that the player's character installs in its head, but is always scientifically inclined. So you can actually like modify Skynet depending on what brain you put in them. Then there's, I think it's pronounced Mariah or Davin, daughter and son of Modoc farmers. They join the party if the player, gender not taken into consideration, slept with one of them and was forced into marriage. Most players sold them to slavers because their combat skills were non-existent. <laughs> Notes in here. It's a cruel world. Somebody, <laughs> somebody noted that in the wiki. Then there's K-9, awarded to the player after he finishes the quest for one of the scientists in New California Republic. Cyberdog. And another Robo Canine, Cyberdog joins if repaired in Navarro. Pariah Dog, dog met in random encounter, follows the player everywhere, bringing very bad luck to everyone around it. And, of course, Dog Meat, a familiar friend from Fallout 1. Dog Meat can be found in a random encounter, Cafe of the Broken Dreams. Joins the party after being fed iguana on a stick, or if he sees the player in just the vault suit without any armor. Hello there, old chap. Good to see another of General Atomic's finest still eager to serve. All right, so everybody knows how VPN services and ExpressVPN can protect your privacy and security online, right? But did you know that there are some secret hidden benefits to using ExpressVPN, like unlocking movies and shows that are only available in other countries? So... If you're like me, you probably enjoy watching shows on Netflix, for example. Well, with ExpressVPN, you can unlock the UK version of The Office or Parasite from South Korean Netflix. Over a hundred different countries. All you have to do is change your location and refresh Netflix or whatever. Hulu, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. In fact, when I set it up for myself, I was surprised at how easy it was. It just installs and then loads up and works. And it works on more than just PCs, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and so much more. So if you want to access hundreds of new shows, use my link right now, expressvpn.com slash falloutlore, and you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash falloutlore, expressvpn.com slash falloutlore to learn more. If you have any questions about Nuka World, I'd be delighted to answer them. Why don't we ask the newcomer? You support the news? So thanks again for tuning in to this week's episode of the Fallout Lorecast. And stay tuned if you are a patron then at the end of this episode, you will get the continuation of our Choose Your Own Adventure story. So thank you to all of our patrons who sign up and help support the show. We have two new patrons this week to call out. Thank you so much to Frank B., 
and Chris for your uh, tier two and tier three pledges. Welcome to the patrons. And I hope you guys have plugged into the discord to the patron chat and are setting up your RSS feed on patreon.com or just using the patreon app that's another way you can do it too that way you can you can get uh, and this happens for everybody everyone who's tier one one dollar a month and more gets access to the show without any advertisements and the extended version of each of the episodes where we go on our choose your own adventure which will be continuing today so stay tuned for that if you're a patron um, also thank you to everybody who helps support the show through telling a friend or rating and reviewing us on iTunes that helps immensely get the word out there. The show continues to grow and I'm so excited because that just means that I get to do more and more for you guys with this kind of stuff, including we have now expanded robots radio out to not only some new shows. And I mentioned this in the past, but robots Roundtable, which I put on this, on this uh, feed of like last week when the first episode came out is now out on iTunes on its own feed. It's out on Spotify and anywhere else that you can get, I get podcasts, get iTunes, get podcasts. So, um, check out robots Roundtable. go subscribe me and Ken from the Chad show, <laughs> the, the Chad fallout 76 story. And uh, Sebastian from hidden pixels. And then even Jameson from the DL pop in pops in for a quick little bit. And we talk about more fallout stuff and a bunch of other interesting topics about things like how does violence in games affect us. And we each bring up our own topics every week. And then we also have time at the end where we pit our different ideas or different characters or whatever we brought up that week in a little, honorific combat i guess you could say and this week's happened to be who would be the most likely to win in a drunken bar fight <laughs> so go check that out and also you can follow up with votes on twitter uh at, at robots underscore radio on the main robots radio uh channel and it's also been retweeted by all the other accounts so go check that out i know that um a lot of you guys downloaded that last time last week and i hope that you're not wondering why that's not on this this stream anymore but it was just a hint just a quick little little view of the newest episode and of the first episode and now that it's out on its own stream on its own podcast stream is it a podcast stream is that what it is uh then you can download it there so Go subscribe to that. I think you guys are going to get a blast out of listening to the different hosts talk. Everybody is super interesting and so much fun to hang out with every week. And of course, we would love to get your feedback on any of the topics that come up because we'd love to highlight those in future episodes. So if you have any thoughts on that stuff or the stuff that I've gone on, you know, gone over in the Fallout Lorecast, then shoot me a note at fallout lorecast on Twitter or fallout lorecast at gmail.com and let me know your thoughts. So speaking of letting me know your thoughts, the ratings and reviews continue to pour in for this show. You guys are constantly amazing me. We're very quickly reaching almost 150. Almost. We have 115 uh, reviews actually left. Oh, I'm sorry. And 160 ratings. The vast majority, I believe it's like 155 of them are five stars. You guys are crazy. Thank you so much. So real quick, we're going to get through some of these. We have a Canadian friend, JC655, who writes, if you love Fallout lore, this is the podcast for you. Five stars. I capital love 
this podcast. I hope Robots with Zeros keeps this up. Anyone who plays the Fallout games knows this is rich in lore and history. Robots does a great job at storytelling and discussing the lore of the game. Thank you. Well, you're very welcome, JC. I'm glad that you are loving it, capitalized. That's awesome. Then we have Ben underscore Wivu, W-V-U, from the United States, who writes, great way to learn more about the game we love. Picked up Fallout 76. Congratulations. Welcome to the team. After a few months off, while bored at work, I searched for podcasts about Fallout and found this gem. I get my Fallout fix while sitting in the office learning more about the deep, rich backstory of the Fallout universe. Keep up the good work. Dude, that's awesome. That's one of the ways I listen to podcasts when I'm doing mundane things in, in the office at work. So I'm glad I can help you get through the day and, and enjoy your day a little bit more thinking about Fallout stuff. Also, we have Superstar1123 from the United States who writes, Awesome for a nerd like me. What a great podcast. Unlike the other ones that I've listened to, this one keeps my interest. Well, I'm glad I can do that for you. Thanks. If you're a fan of Fallout at all, this is a must-have. I found it by accident and so very glad I did. Oh, and the host is easy to listen to. Oh, there we go. I'm easy. I'm... Wait a minute. Is, isn't easy one of those things you say when somebody is likely to... Oh, no, to listen, listen to. Yeah, got it. Uh, he explains things well, and he's humble, too. Yes, I am the most humble person you will ever meet. Absolutely. <laughs> Definitely worth subscribing to. Well, thank you so much, Superstar. I do appreciate it. Um, and thank you for uh, noting my extreme humility. Then we have one more from somebody who is just named uh, Arrow in arrow in no arrow backwards arrow backward i don't know how to say that from the united states thank you no uh not just radioactive facts very cool title your host for fallout lorecast robots with zeros slash tom doesn't just regurgitate facts from various fallout wikis with his quote redness well redness Robots also draws parallels between the Fallout universe and real life, which brings an extra dimension to the already supple Fallout universe that you may never have thought about. Robots' voice lends an air of authenticity and friendship. I'm, I'm, man, you guys are great. I'm humble. I'm, I'm super humble. I'm really friendly. I'm absolutely authentic all the time. I'm, I must be the best person ever. Again, I'm super humble. <laughs> I hope, I hope this comes across as a joke, not like some of my other jokes where you guys were like, somebody would call me out and they were like, wait, this, whatever he's saying here clearly doesn't make sense. Yeah, no, it's, I'm being sarcastic. All right. Uh, so let's go on with the review. Listening to Fallout Lorecast is almost like asking your knowledgeable friend slash buddy, what are your thoughts on blank title of episode? And you just listen to him ramble on and interject himself for an hour and a half in a very stable and soothing voice. Uh, with occasional bouts of excitement. So thank you so much, No. I really do appreciate that review. And um, I also appreciate everybody noting how awesome I am. That's, that's super good. You guys keep doing that. And I'm not going to be able to stay humble. Um, my head is going to get really big. And then I'm going to have to push the microphone further away from my face. Um, also, I will need to wear larger hats. My head's already kind of big, like... I don't know. I mean, it's not the end rung on like a, a baseball hat, but I definitely, I don't know, even from an early age, kind of had a big head. Yeah, I guess that's a thing. I think I'm kind of touchy about that. Oh, man. 
All right. Well, I'm going to go try to make my head smaller. You guys have a wonderful week. Thank you for tuning in and I will see you next week. And don't forget, check out Robots Roundtable on everywhere. So go look that up right now and listen. And if you are a patron, stay tuned for after the ending music because we're going to get the extra part of the show right here at the end. All right. See you guys. Thanks for listening to the Fallout Lorecast. All sounds and music are owned by Bethesda Softworks, and no copyright infringement is intended. If you have something you'd like to contribute to the show, please contact us at falloutlorecast at gmail.com or follow us and post some messages to us on Twitter at falloutlorecast. And if you'd like to support the show, tell a friend or check out the rewards you can get for becoming a patron at patreon.com slash falloutlorecast. I really appreciate you listening and I'd love to hear from you soon. In women's makeup was scrawled your name on the mirror, Norman. And that wasn't all. There was also in red lipstick an arrow pointing down. You took some time and you looked through the drawers and the shelf and the, the other items still in the room. You finally turned around to see the edge of the mattress, the mattress that you were planning to sleep on that night. And on one side, you saw a small red X. You went over to the mattress and you lifted it up and underneath the mattress is a note. You look at the note and you realize that this was written by your wife. It explains very clearly and succinctly that she knows that if you got out alive, that you'd be tracking her. And it says, Norman, if you're following me, I need you to know something. Somebody else tracked me here. I had to use the pistol you gave me, the pipe pistol. I had to end someone's life. I didn't want to. I'm sorry. If you look in the closet, you'll find a synth. So maybe it was the end of a life. Maybe not. I don't know. I'm so confused. Also in the closet with the synth is some sort of laser weapon. And he called himself a Corsair. Some dark looking clothes. I'm going to keep going west, southwest, see if I can make it up into the mountains. I hope that you can find me. The other thing the synth had on him was some sort of radio transmitter. I've set the frequency, match it on your pit boy and you'll know which way to go. I'll see you hopefully in a few days. I had to keep moving. I'm sorry. And that was it. You look in the closet and sure enough, there is a human looking person with a hole in the chest, a few holes in the chest. And 
inside those holes, as you poke around, you can see that they weren't so much human as they were robot. You take the gear off the body. You put on the Corsair outfit. You decide, well, I may as well look like one of them. Maybe that's less suspicious. You grab the laser rifle. And you sit down on the bed. Thinking, I need to get some rest. Before you fall asleep, you set your Pip-Boy to the frequency in the note. And you notice that the signal is not coming from the west or from the south, but back east. That's strange. So what do you do? Do you continue traveling west, southwest, continuing to track your wife's steps or trying to find the trail? Or do you go to the signal? which is supposed to be where she is. Which do you do? Remember to go to patreon.com and look for the newest post with a poll asking you which thing you would actually do. And if you have any other ideas, leave them in the comment section of the post. See you guys next week.